Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Well, you know what that means. You are listening to The Mystery of Parenthood. I'm here with Thaddeus Romanski. How are you doing today? Good afternoon, Trey. Good to see you, man. Uh, Good, and we're happy that y'all are listening. And um, we have some good stuff to talk about today, but let's begin, as we always do, with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. John Paul II, pray for us. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Howdy. Uh, Howdy. Hey, uh, you are in the studio. Yeah, it's not. Trey's I mean, it's, back in the studio, folks. Hopefully, we won't have that. We won't have that much. I had something to awesome. go to afterwards, so it's a lot more fun in person, definitely, um, than than it is on in a Zoom call. And we'll see how it goes forward. Steph, Steph is traveling at this point, so. Uh, to go visit some friends and um, life is not as beautiful without Stephanie here. That's a course. fact, Jack. So <laughs> we need to acknowledge that. Yeah, but um, but anyway, hopefully we'll have something good. I I was telling Thaddeus before we started that um, that I'd been asked to kind of maybe give a little short deal for for a group here that because there had been some concerns expressed uh, perhaps by some parents around town or or at least that are near here that that um they might be having difficulties with how to share difficult cir- circumstances um job loss illness death whatever and i thought that it might be a um a good topic to talk about i i certainly don't think that that i'm an expert and i don't think we'll have like just a other than maybe some principles to go by, but hopefully it'll be helpful to those who are out there with when, when they present themselves, because we were also talking about the fact that a year, you know, a year ago, if I think about what I would have been doing a year ago, (laughs) they're just, it is so unlikely and so out of the ordinary to have as much, craziness going on i mean you you'd get bits and pieces now if you happen to stumble across the news <laughs> you're there's there's just a plethora of of stuff that's so out of the ordinary and it's across so many different lines <laughs> that that it's kind of overwhelming and it's impacting people that we know whereas lots of times there's such a distance between us and circumstances like that in most cases it now seems to be so close at hand and um and because of that i think maybe most of us and myself included and, I, and thaddeus it sounded like it, it had come up topics are that are difficult may come up more frequently um in this day and age um than maybe in the recent past certainly more than because too, if I think about the time when there have been difficult discussions or difficult conversations, they have typically been with, you know, a problem with a. I mean, maybe I've lost a, my mom died, or 
whatever. There are different things that have come up, but those are intermittent, and there's usually some distance between them, um, the ones that hit close to home. And so, anyway, now it just seems to be so, you know, first degree, like just the net. I mean, we're not far removed from hearing about somebody who is sick or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has died or it just seems to be so close. Yeah. So does that, hopefully that's something that will be helpful. That's what we're going to try to talk about today. So, yeah, great. And I, uh, I opened up my catechism in the Catholic church, not my catechism. Yes. Thank you. Uh, right. but, but Much the, more reliable than the catechism. <laughs> but the catechism. And I turned to paragraph 1808 and that's where the catechism goes through, lays out the four cardinal virtues, and I just, I thought, right as we were getting rolling, I thought, you know, I think we need to bring out that having these sorts of uh, conversations, talks with our with our children inside of our families about death, about sickness, about disease, turmoil, um, political turmoil, um, economic displacement, all of these things, yes. I think it calls for fortitude. So what is fortitude? Here's the here's the definition from the catechism. It's the moral virtue that ensures firmness in difficulties and constancy in the pursuit of the good. It strengthens the resolve to resist temptations and to overcome obstacles in the moral life. The virtue of fortitude enables one to conquer fear, even fear of death, and to face trials and persecutions. It disposes one even to renounce and sacrifice his life in defense of a just cause. The Lord is my strength and my song from Psalm 118. In the world, in the world, you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's John chapter 16. Um, it's also a vert. It's also a, a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's something that's imparted to us in the sacrament of confirmation, fortitude. Yes. So we need to cultivate that fortitude, I think, by by having these kinds of difficult talks, not not shying away from them right. when they when they come up. Uh, bringing our our faith into those conversations as it as it applies, and then all of us have to be called. Uh, right, Trey, to um, more repentance, more renewal, right. more um, mortification, sacrifice, so that we can build that virtue of fortitude inside of us through through physical self-sacrifice, for example. Yeah, so no, those are some initial thoughts. No, that and I think that and that's dead on. Through. I think you know when you think about any virtue. Um, well, I think let's back up just one step. We have to recognize and, as a matter of faith, realize that nothing happens that God isn't aware of. Nothing happens that he's surprised about. Exactly. And nothing that happens to us individually as a family or a community or in a world, there's nothing that happens that... He's not using. He's not using to help us become better humans. In other words, our our response. And in 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 secular circles, you'll hear people say it's not. You know, the the issues. Ten percent the circumstances you find yourself in. It's ninety percent the attitude. Well, one of the first attitudes that we have to cultivate is understanding that God loves us so much. That's why we can have fortitude is, is that doesn't mean that we don't experience fear because I've experienced it. It's a, it's a, it's a natural emotion. It's not, it's something that God has given us. It's our response. Uh, when I was, when we were struggling, when I just started a new job working for myself and then the triplets came along and Stephanie was not able to, function normally she was she had, was on bed rest and there was just so much going on and I was trying to work you know I had a friend um happened to be a Christian friend but he used to just say you know 
he played football for AM. I may have used this before, but I mean he he said it's the issue's not having butterflies, which is like the fear of what might happen. It's making those butterflies fly in formation is that which I think is ultimately a simplistic way of looking at it. It's not if we have fortitude, we won't experience fear. Right. It, it's it's what in and, and it's not saying that fortitude says that what we're looking at isn't frightening in some sense. And we got to help kids understand that, that that's, that's a normal thing. We've been given that to, and, and fear kind of helps you to do one of two things, you know, to fight or <laughs> to flee. And those can both be good things. I mean, either of those, depending on the, on the circumstance and the wisdom, but, but I guess the overarching thing that we have to continue to remind ourselves of and to help remind our kids is that God is in control, no matter what it may look like. And that's where our fortitude ultimately comes from. Because if we thought we were the only people in in charge, capable of, by our, our own strength, fighting this virus or racism or whatever, you could get pretty desperate. I mean, you could, you could experience despair you could experience a lack of hope because what can I do? And what little I can do, you recognize doesn't tend to have an impact across many, but we can recognizing that weakness, remind ourselves of the fact that God's completely in charge of what's going on. And if an evil comes, I mean, that's a principle. If, if, if an evil comes, if a struggle comes, if a, tragedy hits it whatever it is god's still in control and it's still out of love because he's calling us into something else one of that obviously one of them is always going to be conversion as you mentioned one of them is confronting ourselves with what part of this problem is my doing and you know with with regard to the pandemic or whatever there is a Catholic way of looking at that and saying, okay, there is part of it that's, that's mine because part of the reason we, part of the fallen world that we live in is, is due to my sin. And while my sin is small, that's a, that's a very high level concept, probably not something you talk with, you know, with a younger child, but I mean, at least putting that in context, you have to remind ourselves that, we're all sinners, and as a result, even our smallest sins have some impact on this world. And therefore, what we can do is say, how do I need to be converted, Lord? You know, what do I need to do? Go to confession. That, that's one of the things that I think is, is very helpful. But I'd be remiss if I didn't say that's – if I have anything th- that I can count on um, – I have to count on the fact that I can trust him no matter what and that he loves me and loves my children and loves everybody else enough to to know that if something's going on this tough I always like it I tell my kids I tell my kids and it's saying if all my kids play sports but it could be anything where you have to work at it the person who's teaching somebody something if they're good at it will recognize that somebody's ready for something, even if they don't think they're ready. And then a good coach will put them in a circumstance that they know they're ready for and that they're going to help them with and then puts them in that circumstance so that they can kind of bear the fruit of this is a tough circumstance. So I tell the kids all the time, look, I mean, he knew you would be a senior in high school or a, or a sophomore. Or a fr- I mean, he knew you were going to be here at this time. So you must actually be a special person because he's actually, actually allowing this to happen, not just in general, but specific to you because you have something to do both personally and something that you can give as a result of this. Don't always know what that is initially, but you need to have your antennas up. Part of your greatness, part of why God puts you on the planet at this moment, at this time, is for such a moment as this. And I think that's a way of both being completely truthful and turning it around. That there's not only hope, there's a challenge here that 
is trying to draw something out of you is that's going to make you a better person going forward. And that may look different for me or Stephanie or one of my children from place to place based on their gifts and talents. But this is a time to be telling them you're on this planet at this moment for some reason. And he's allowing this to happen to make you a better person. And then we have to cooperate with that, and we have to trust that that's that that's the case. So I think that that trust piece that you went back to about trusting that God is in control, I think that's exactly why the the kind of the tenor of the times is what it is. There is an ast- an astounding lack of belief in God. There's an astounding lack of um, putting, putting what we're going through in God's hands. And so then therefore, um, you hear there's, there's much more of a, of a sense of things, you know, should be a certain way and they aren't. And so there's, there's rage about that rather than, um, patience or, or perseverance through that. Right. And if you don't, if, if a lot of this, you know, in the self-help kind of way of going through things that, you know, kind of hit its stride in the last several decades where, you know, I'm a master of my future and I, you know, I can always change things and do things. You know, part of the, part of the issue is, is we are called to cooperate with that, but that's really an overstatement of what we're capable of. I mean, we can't, control whether I get the virus or whether I get in a car accident or if I, I mean, you can go down the list of all the things that you think you're in control of and you're not. And, and if we're in a society that doesn't acknowledge that there's some power outside of us, then you either have to trust yourself and there's certain people are out there and they're taking things into their own hands for better or for worse and doing it, or you got to trust somebody else, president Trump or, or, Anthony Fauci or I mean the, they're the per, or the or the doctors who are going to do those things and so it depends on who you ultimately trust in and like you're saying part of the despair is if anybody's honest in most cases you in a time like this you realize as an individual there are things I can control but there's a lot more things that I can't that I don't know. I can't control whether my business goes under or whether I'm not going to get a pay or, or I, I mean, you just go down the list of all the things you can't control. Um, and it can hit you blindside. Like you don't even know. And then all of a sudden something's changed. Those are all things that remind us that we at some point have to trust in somebody or something because we're, we recognize we're out of control. That in and of itself is a positive thing from the standpoint of drawing people to realize that, you know, we're, you know, America and particularly the last, you know, 50 years or something, I think there's been this great, I, you know, I could do whatever I want to do. I can be whoever I want to be. I can, and that is not completely true. <laughs> You can be who you're made to be. You can become a better version of yourself, and you can struggle through that. But what you can't do is be certain that if I just put my nose to the grindstone and if I just do this or do that, I mean, like I said, I've, I've, I've used this before because I think it's it, – I've talked about my my mother and – right before my oldest son was born and Stephanie asked, you know, what advice would you give to your soon to be, um, grandchild? I, I mean, you're, you're going to, he's going to come exist. What, what kind of, what not come into existence? He's going to be born. What would you tell him today about, uh, about what he should do? And she said, you know, be flexible. And, her definition of flexibility was, you know, start out with a plan and then when you end up somewhere else and you will end up somewhere else, pretend like that's where you're headed in the first place. And there's some wisdom to that from the standpoint of at least on the front end, recognizing that 
I can have all the plans I want. I can even do everything that I say I'm going to do. But there are other things that impact that that are outside of my control. And so I think one of the things you can talk to your kids about is do what you can do. I mean, do what you can do in your small way. And if everybody out there did their small part, whatever that is, then that's all you can do. That's all you're expected to do. Um, and so I think that that, I mean, there's so many principles that I think come from this and a recognition of our sinfulness, a recognition of our need to change, the recognition that we're not completely in control of everything. <laughs> um, you know, for the longest time, I think death has kind of been put off to the side. It has not been a topic of, of, of conversation. It's not been something that's come up. Now it's front and center, it, which again points us to the fact we're all going to die. And then that raises the issue. Well, so what happens then? And there's way more competing ideas about what has happened. Well, guess what? Our idea, the one given to us by God, what he's revealed to us, is something that needs to be shared with people. Because when I hear some of the other ideas about what happens after death, you just go, you just don't exist anymore. You're done. That's not a, <laughs> that's not one that fires me up. I mean, it's something that might drive me to do things that I wouldn't do, okay? I, I mean, um, that I shouldn't do. And so amongst, it's bringing up opportunities, I think, to talk about competing ideas because these things are becoming more evident, <coughs> excuse me, more um, front and center than they normally have been in the past. And that's kind of the stuff we need to talk about is we can't ignore death anymore. We can't ignore the fact that if I lose my job or somebody else loses their job because of what's happening, all the people that are working in the hotel industry, for example, that have done that. I mean, it's, it's outside of their control. It's not, it's not something that there's anything they can do about. Um, and so I think it's just a wide range of people across many industries who are confronted with things that while they, it hasn't changed. I mean, we should have known, we were all going to die. We should have known <laughs> we're all not as in control as we think, but but now it's there. So it's a, it's an opportunity, I think, to be able to share in kindness. And certainly that begins with our children. I mean, it, at a minimum, that begins with us. How do how do we do? How do we deal with that? So anyway, I don't know if you had any more to do, but that no, that's that's good. That's good. Well, so. Yeah, so I was just thinking, like, I was going back through some difficult times which may have that I've gone through and things that, that I've done. Um, I have, unfortunately, been in, in situations where, or maybe fortunately because it's it's helped me, but, I mean, where I didn't know where the next mortgage payment was coming from. I didn't know any of those things, and, and it had gotten to the point where it became very evident that um, – that I wasn't completely in control. And so what, so what happened? Well, first off, you get scared. I mean, so as we talked about, addressing, and again, you don't have to have an intentional conversation with your child. In other words, you don't have to set aside a time to do it. Oftentimes the best time to address something is when it comes up. We've, we've always talked about one of the great, one of the most important things about being a parent is recognizing when they open up a crack to see how you're going to respond. So if they express a fear or they might ask an odd question, lots of times, particularly if we're busy, we'll push it, push it off. We need to have the antennas up as parents to what's behind that question. Because often what the question they're asking is not the real question. And... 
those are the most effective because that's when they are open to it. So you don't pull them out from playing with their, you know, playing toys or whatever and, and say, okay, now we're going to have a conversation about death or about daddy, not daddy, not having a job or what, whatever. Right. Right. I mean, but look for those openings um, because those are when they're the most impactful because they're at that point, they're ready for it. But they're gonna they're gonna test it. They're not gonna they're not going to, um. They're, they're they may not ask directly, what what they're really asking. Um, so they may have come across somebody, um, a friend whose parent has died. That that came up the other day with actually uh, with us. We were talking to um, and they were remembering that a that a friend of theirs, because we were asking like where the dad was and said, Oh, I remember his dad, her dad died. And then it came up even with 18, 19 year olds, you know, the conversation. And even at 19, they get a little disturbed by, I can't imagine what that would be like if mm-hmm. you died. Mm-hmm. And so he, um, I remember Kingsley almost again, kind of choking on that. But we had a discussion First off, particularly at that age, and you have to, again, part of the problem with this is there's no fast and, you know, hard and fast answer on how to do it across everything. So I think the critical issue is, are they open to the conversation, which typically comes from a conversation that's becomes aware? Number two, how old are they? And, and can they handle, what, what, what could they handle? And then us as parents calling upon the grace of the Holy spirit and the grace of the sacrament of marriage to say, okay, what can I say to them? And what is my purpose in saying it? And so it should be a couple things. One, we were talking about this before helping them deal with that emotion. What's going on? How, how do you, how do you handle it? Where is it coming from? Helping them understand that. And then what do they do with it? How does it fit in a, a Catholic's worldview so that they can address it? But you also have to be truthful. So with a 19-year-old, I said, look, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I hope to be alive for another 30 years. I hope to watch my grandkids and my great-grandkids. No idea whether that's going to happen. But with a 19-year-old, I would say, but you do have to realize that under normal circumstances— I'm going to die before you do. I mean, normally. Right. Um, right. And so it is important for a 19-year-old, not a 2-year-old, probably not even a 10-year-old, to have that necessary conversation. I mean, that conversation. Yep. Um, but at some point, it is important to say, hey, let's just talk about this now. I mean, <laughs> because it's coming up. I mean, number one, Thank God that I haven't. Pray for those who have lost. Those are things that can be taught and, and tell them. But but then also come to realization that God's got a plan. So I may live to be 85. I may live to be 100. I may not live till next week. We can't live our lives wondering what, what, what that's going to look like. All we can do is what's next. So if you're concerned about me and if I, and I'm concerned, I need to do what I can do to that's in my control to try to extend my life, take my medicine, exercise, try to eat right, those type of things. That's something I can do. And and you need to recognize that I'm not always going to be there because I remember my mom almost died and I've shared this with them. My mom almost died 2 years before she actually died and I remember thinking, okay, if she makes it, there's things I need to say. There's, there's ways that I've treated her in the past because I, because I presume that she'd always be there and I need to change. And I remember being so grateful when she came out of the, the induced coma because I changed how I, res- how I acted with her. I changed maybe some of my sarcasm that mom, you know, some of the ways I had handled her before, because I saw that as a gift. We don't always get that second chance. So that's a time to talk to your kids. Look, we don't know. So are we handling each other? Are we dealing with one another in a way that is because we don't know. I mean, 
we don't know if tomorrow either of us is going to be around. We don't know that. I mean, we like to think that. We plan like that's the case. And the likelihood is probably it's going to be that way. But we don't know that. And so that's an opportunity to tell them, look, we all need to be acting as if we're not going to see, you know, a person later. My mom always said the last words that anybody needs to see, hear from your mouth and in our family is I love you. You can be in an argument, you can be whatever, but the last words. So that was drummed into my head. That was something that I've taught all my kids. If, if they walk out the door to go to the store, the last words they're going to hear from me are I love you. And that's built from my parents teaching me that, but it's built on the realization that we don't, it's presumptuous to think you've always got another day. Hey, Trey, I want to jump in here and, and ask, um, not to put you on the spot, but I mean, how come that hasn't kind of bled over into our friendship? I mean, when you when you leave the studio, you don't usually oh, say, okay. I, love I love you, man. I love you, man. From now on, man. From now on. Yeah. So I mean it's it's but it is but you do need to think about think about those things um with friends, with whomever. I mean, it's made me realize that I have good friends elsewhere that I don't get to see. So I'm a lot more grateful when I get a phone call or a lot more ready to make a phone call because it's we we even as old as I am, 55, you know, I, I recognize now that I always presumed I could go do this or we're going to go do that. And we do need to be, even with our friends, a little bit more. I mean, I really appreciate the time. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate whatever things that maybe guys wouldn't necessarily normally say to other guys. Um, but it's important, I think, to do. Yeah, it is. And I think I think these conversations – um, you've hit on some really good points considering their age, considering the, the topic, um, the, the circumstances surrounding it. I think also we have to be willing to accept um, some messiness in these conversations. That They're not, they're not going to be clean. Uh, no, there's um, no way. You're, you're, gonna, you're, you're probably not going to state something the, the perfectly right way. Um, you may... Your your emotions may get involved, and sometimes, especially for fathers, that can in, intensity um, can come across as as anger. Right, and, uh, and you have to you have to be willing to. Hopefully, you have that um, established in your family that you know you've reminded your children over and over again that that doesn't mean that you're mad. You've apologized when it's necessary that you've just kind of have let yourself go. Um, you have gotten too fired up or too emotionally involved. Um, but still not letting those kind of things shy away from, make you shy away from having the the talks that you need to have. And that's part and of going And being willing to kind of circle back maybe the next day or later that day to, to clean up something that you you said or to tie up some loose ends ask again hey how did that did that how did how did that strike you yesterday what we talked about how are you doing with with that yeah and so so a couple really good points as a parent one of the important things is is don't shy away from what's happening but also recognize that sometimes the best times particularly after that to deal with it are in in times of non-conflict so, like, to come back around in a less, because you've calmed down or whatever, to come back around and address again calmly is very important. So don't just leave something, particularly if it was either unsaid or something that was said that needs to be retracted or changed. Don't put it off just because it stemmed from maybe a heated conversation or whatever make a point to say, I'm going to try to find a time and, and in, in as low a key as possible to say, Hey, so how'd that, you know, and leave it as a question to allow them to do that. The other thing is, is I think part of practical trust as a parent is you have to call on the grace of the sacrament of marriage and you have to call on the Holy spirit. And that I have been amazed at what 
things kids have heard when I know I didn't say exactly that, but what they heard was better than what I delivered. Mm-hmm. And so I attribute that to the fact that the Holy Spirit is actually acting in that when you're trying to do what you can do in the moment to the best of your ability, given all of your inadequacies in articulating something or your emotions or whatever, part of the practical trust is prior to doing that, Holy Spirit, I want, I need your help here. I'm living out the grace of the sacrament of marriage. I'm calling on that grace. And I, I found that sometimes they maybe don't hear, they hear something better than what actually you're delivering. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's a practical trust. Don't wait until you've got all the answers. Don't wait until everything be willing to step away if it's either going bad or, or you're losing temper and maybe say, Hey, let's, let's take this up another time. But, trust that as the parent that God's going to provide you with the words. Um, you know, Jesus says that, you know, and it's, it's attributed to like when you're being persecuted, but at the same time, I've always taken it that lots of times, if you'll let it, God will provide you with the words. Um, Definitely. And he'll also provide the hearer, if you call him that, with a proper interpretation of the words, even if they're not coming out. We have to have that vision for a sacramental marriage that that he can work with us as long as we invite him in and as long as we trust that if I'm trying to do what so our saying I have it I wear it on my wrists in our is our in our family is something my kids will say is trust God do good and he will act and that's basically what we all have to do in this moment, but even from a moment to moment as a parent, we have to trust God. You, you gave me these kids. You put me with my spouse or whatever's happening in life. You're, I'm in this situation, and I know that you know, God, that I'm weak. I'm a sinner. I don't have all the answers, but I also know that you've called me to be a parent, and yep. therefore— I'm going to trust that I'm going to do the best I can to be a parent. So I'm going to do good, the best good that I know how to do in the moment. And then the thing that's often forgotten is the he will act part, trusting that if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, even with all my faultiness, and I go ahead and do it to the best of my ability, he will act. And that's throughout the gospel. I mean, from everything we've talked about that, you know, when, when, uh, Peter's worried about paying the taxes, you know, he trusted because he says, go catch a fish and pull, go and the first fish you catch is going to pull. You're going to have enough to pay for me and for you. What? You know, then he goes and does the good that he's been asked to do and God acted and the little kid coming with the five low, I mean the two loaves and or five loaves and two fish or what, seven, whatever the, whatever the numbers are, the loaves and the fishes, he came and offered it to, he trusted, do good. And then he acts. And so I think that is a, that can be, I mean, our kids say it all the time. It's all, I mean, it's everywhere. I put trust God, do good. He will act. And I think that from a principled standpoint, that's where we are at this day and age is we have to trust him. We have to do the good. And that brings up a point that I think is really important. As bad as things are going for you, there's somebody else out there who has it worse And the answer is not to say, oh, no doubt. There is not say, oh, well, it could be worse. <laughs> the answer is, how can I serve somebody? And as, as hard as it is for me, as much as I may be going through, as much sacrifice as I might ha- be having to make, or as much as we're having to change the way things are, to get outside of yourself to go say, well, is there somebody that I can help? 
is there somebody that God's put in my way to help is another way to not, you know, say, well, it could be worse, but not only could it be worse, I have something to give even in my lack. That's the stuff that God honors all the time. That's the, that's the lady with the, the poor lady giving all that she did, even though it was such a small amount that he praises and says she's given more than any of these people because she's given from her need, not from her abundance, from her need. Well, I think this is another tack. Is there somebody, even if you're in need, that you can reach out and serve? Is there somebody else that we can help? Right. I think, I, I think that is so important at every level because it shows that we can trust God in that. And even though we're lacking, maybe there's not as much coming, coming in or there's more going out or whatever is happening, that there's still somebody who could use something, whether it's money or a kind word or a meal or whatever. Be, have your eyes open to do that. And I don't know, that's another tactic that you can do because sometimes it's real easy to try to help somebody when you're in the time of abundance. Yeah, and I, I think another um, key would be you have to trust your kind of your parental common sense or your Catholic common sense and you have to uh, you have to shape the conversation and conduct the conversation and I think especially don't you know don't uh, be lured into let's uh, you know let's watch a video or let's watch a some 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 hackneyed kind of instructional video or read something and, and kind of don't farm it out to, to some other person, you know, read, read up on something and uh, inform yourself, form yourself better to, to talk about whatever a difficult issue might be. But still, I think it's, it's really important for children to see their parents speak competently and, uh, with, uh, you know, reason and faith about whatever topic that and so if you do you're, you're modeling that for them right and if, 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 if you else. do use something if you were to choose to use something you can't leave it at using something right hey we're going to watch this because i think it's really good but i want to hear get your comments so it's not over when it's over i mean we're, we're going to have That's a, just we're going to have a, we're, it's just the beginning we're going to have a conversation about what do you think about this and again um trust that you as a parent that I think all parents need to be encouraged. You all need to be encouraged. God has given you a child. You and if he has given you a child, you have what it takes, even if you don't think you have what it takes. And so by yourself, maybe you don't, but but God is gonna give you what you need even if you're not the most articulate, even if you're not the most um, well-educated. Be a parent and be vulnerable. Another thing that I think is important is when you're going through a tough time, it's okay to a certain extent to show vulnerability. I mean, to, to not be afraid to say, maybe I'm scared. You know, depends on the kid, depends on the age, but I can remember vividly my, my, when my mother was on a vent that she ended up surviving this, my dad, I said, dad, so what is the likelihood she's going to get off this? He said, well, if you look at the, if you look at the literature, she's got about a 10% chance of surviving. But I mean, he just said, but it's going to be fine. We're going to, we've got God on our side and we're going to pray. And I like our chances, even though the literature says 10% chance. And again, part of trusting is not being afraid 
to be a little bold. You know, I don't think my dad knew that mom was going to make it. Most of the doctors were apparently telling him probably not going to make it. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't afraid with me. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to, I was an adult at this time, a young adult, still very afraid of losing my mother. Um, but sometimes you got to, you got to speak with, with that, you know, I mean, remember talking uh, with some, it's not me doing it, but God's going to do it. I, I remember like, for example, like we were wondering, my son just had his first anniversary of his wedding, you know, recently right, right. Well, back when they were, when they were going to get married, they were asking like, well, how much can you afford? I was to, to help with the wedding. And I was looking at finances and going, not very much, but God will provide promise you. It's like, well, so what does that mean? Like $2,000, you know, $10,000. <laughs> Give me a number. Yeah. Dad. Give me a number. And I said, I don't know what that number is. But he will provide, I promise you. And we're going to pray. And we sent, again, this is, this is ongoing. It's a 20-some-odd-year-old deal. But they had grown up in a house where when we had a need that we thought was really one of God's desires for us, that participating in common prayer. So we did a novena. We put together a list which included the funds to pay for, to make sure that, that their wedding is what God wants it to be and that we're not all in debt. And sure enough, it was miraculous. It came out of nowhere. I don't even, still don't even know where it came from, but we came out, we weren't any more in debt. We were able to help a lot more than I would have ever thought. And so I pulled wow. my son over and said, he, he provides, I promise you. <laughs> I mean, I know you want to plan and we should, but, don't leave it just to him. He can turn the loaves and fishes into a multitude because he's God. So part of what I would say is, in addition to talking about these things, is really asking, do I, do I trust God enough to be able to say, I'm doing, I did, did I know that that was going to happen? No. Did I, at the time that I was saying that, I had no idea. I didn't know. I still, to this day, am not sure how we ended up being able to pay what we got. Were able to pay? <laughs> I don't know. It's like it just kept being there, and so part of trusting is being out there a little bit, um, knowing that what you're doing. Not, not that I want to win a million dollars. I mean, of course, I'd love to have a million dollars, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but not that that's what it's. But does my does does God want my son to have a good sacramental marriage? Yes. And, you know, there were things that I knew. Now, we can't maybe do this, but we could do that. And it needs to be a celebration because it's a big day. I'm going to trust that he wants to provide for that. Right. And so I'll boldly say he's going to provide. Well, how's he going to do that? What are you going to do? Are you going to, I mean, I don't know. So sometimes as a parent, part of, being that example is giving that example, not being afraid to say, God's going to do it. I don't know how. Exactly. And then making them aware that you're praying about it, making them aware that you're trusting. And then when it happens, telling them, I told you, this is nothing I did. Right. God somehow did this. And so, I think that lots of times we we only call on God when we're kind of at our wits end uh, and it's kind of a last resort when in fact I think we should be calling God all the time and then being bold enough to say he still acts today in miraculous ways. He still does. And I grew up in a house where my mom and my dad said things like that and Hopefully my kids are growing up in a house where my parents, where they say the same thing about that, because I want them to be able to go to their families and say, I've seen it happen. Doesn't always work out the way you, you, you plan it. Doesn't always come the way that you think it's going to come, but trusting God and allowing him back means he's got to happen in a way that you don't know. 
I mean, where it's coming from. It- so do you want to, in the last couple minutes, do you want to wrap up? Yeah, so what you were driving at before you give a, a memory reference. Yeah, so I so to? I think I think that I think that it's very important that you take into consideration the things, but you have to trust. You have to make a decision that God's giving these kids to you, so you have to act on on that. So don't be afraid to act. Mm-hmm. Always before you do, call in His grace to do it, and then. Trust that what comes out and with God's help is going to be what they need to hear. Um, and you're the parent. <laughs> so share with them your concerns as much as you feel called to share. And then when God does do something for you, make sure he gets the credit mm-hmm. and then allow them to see that he is acting in our lives today, even during this crazy time. So um, I was... Um, thinking that um, I was thinking I would do uh, Matthew 5, 31 to uh, 32. So uh, let's see, 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. And so I think that's a good verse to to keep in front. There's tons of other ones. Find the do not be afraid <laughs> uh, ones if you're, if you're going through that. Put them out through the house. Write them on sticky notes at home. Share them with that. So anyway, always um, remember, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. And he will. He will act. God bless you guys. Bye.